energy is more important than talent, which I truly believe. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, this, this Han is a typical example. It sounds like a thing that I can recall telling people. Uh, finally, it's just saying, well, look, you know, good ideas are easy to come by. It's right. the work to carry it out that's the hard part. No sweat finding ideas. You know, steal I, a good idea. <laughs> I, I'm convinced, not convinced about Hannes Hans, though, um, energy level. I wasn't convinced. Well, the less said about her, the better. Right, but I mean, okay. that's, that's yeah. my right. take on that. I, I have Cut a question. Cut the stuff. <laughs> I have a little question. Th this is, again, relating back to Arthur as far as, like, this energy and your activities, because they're not typical boyhood, I mean, types of activities, some of the things you probed. Um, can you recall any influential people during your development as a boy that maybe now when you look back at your life that you see them as being really important figures, influential figures in your career development and your development as a man? Oh, teachers were always very important. When I was maybe in the second or third grade, there was some woman whose name just popped into my mind, a Miss or Mrs. Rosenthal probably a Miss Rosenthal, who uh, encouraged me to read, you know, in little books of history or fiction, um, and was very sweet, and it was the, the idea of formally learning something she came out of the schools. So I was very grateful to, to the teachers, generally. So the teachers were? They were very important. Supportive of yeah. your... And not only me, but anybody that showed the evidence the slightest interest in in growing up, you know, maturing or committing themselves. Uh, another teacher was a history teacher, a man by the name of Van Vliet. Van Vliet? Yeah. Who was very important to me. I mean, he got me all excited about history. Mm -hmm. This would have been in the intermediate school? Yeah. yeah. I, I would think I you think would so. have had people like this in your background. That's why I brought this question up. Well, yeah. I think teachers have been very important in my lifetime. They were my role models. For instance, I had no... Uh, in photography, I didn't have any training, but we'll get to that later. I mean, but this background that I've told you about lent itself to Jules and I experimenting with photography, you see. Mm -hmm. Our interest in chemistry and, uh, and that's where the photography finally did come in, was in the seventh grade when I went to Hutchins Intermediate there. There was a little candy store across the street that sold little kits, sun kits, they were called. Now this is, you, you had moved up the street? Yeah, we had moved from our What's first the, place. The total distance is what? Is that a walking distance still, that whole move, or is that... Oh no, that this was a major move then. This took place, I think, in 1924. 24, 24, right. So that's why I date, even though it says 27 frequently, but actually... It was 1924 that I bought these sun kits at the little candy store in the basement across from Hutchins Intermediate. And these kits consisted of a packet of hypocrystals and some printing out paper and some lithograph artificial negatives of movie stars or uh, huh. uh, landscapes or something. On paper? The negatives were on no, paper? No, they were on a kind of a celluloid. Hmm. Yeah, Just printed on printed, you know, with a rubber... Rubbery ink, something that would take on the cell. Yeah, take on this uh, surface, so that it was an art. That's why I call it an artificial negative. Just printed to be a negative. And then there were, you know, a little thing to hold it, the paper and the negative. I think it was a little bent tin thing, very uncomplicated. Well, I 
that kind of excited me. Hold it out in the sun there, and then after a while... Something really happens. <laughs> yeah, there was this thing on it. But very quickly, and Jules and I did this, we got bored with their images. We wanted our own thing, and well, then it occurred to us to, uh, you know, we the idea of photography, making a photograph, but we didn't have cameras. and. Uh, then ensued a whole big period of confusion where we got our information by going to the library, which was typical of us, and learning obsolete processes. Which you didn't know were obsolete? We didn't know obsolete, yeah. Well, hmm. Like what kinds of things? Well, like printing out paper. There was already developing out paper. Right. <laughs> Did you try to make your own paper, actually? Ever? No, we didn't make our paper, but uh, we tried a lot of toning processes, probably no issues. <laughs> 30 years. Half we got our information, not from camera shops, but I think the name of the optometrist was Black. Black, I'm sure of it. It was a very fancy kind of a optometrist shop that also sold photographic stuff. Hmm. Chemicals. In your neighborhood? No, down, somewhere downtown. And uh, so the first camera I got I think was a, a box camera that used film pack, uh, which got for a couple of subscriptions to a newspaper that we got. And then the first real camera that we used was Jules had his appendix out, and his mother, to hasten his recovery, bought him a 9 by 12 centimeter uh, Avis with a 4 by 4 or 5 uh, Scopar lens. And uh, and then I got a little instruction. When did he have his appendix? At like the eighth or ninth grade? A couple of years after this first interest? Yeah. Somewhere in that period? Yeah, somewhere. Well, during the intermediate school period? Right, I think so. Would this baby be about 1927? Because when the camera went later. But that was when it began, but it didn't begin to get serious until a little bit later as we approached high school. And. Um, so what kind of pictures did you make? Did you go out to make with these cameras, uh, the box camera and the? Uh, well, naturally, the first interest was taking pictures of people, that were around. But then, um, also took pictures, wandered around. You know where River Rouge is? Mm -hmm. Well, that was totally deserted then. I don't think it was even River Rouge Park. But we would sort of go out there and follow the creeks and take some pictures. Mm -hmm. And we developed them, you know, in the uh, sink, seesawing, mm -hmm. and uh, had mother's complaints about wrecking their towels, which stains. we did. <laughs> and there were stains on the walls, stains on the towels, stains on our pants. I like the look in your eyes when you relate this information, <laughs> recalling well, it. It's kind of funny because we were really quite messy, I would say, or we didn't know that, that the stuff would stain it, really. It didn't stain when it first hit, it was like yeah, yeah, right. Do any of these pictures exist anywhere between you or Jules? Oh. Did you save any of your childhood memorabilia? I don't know, my sister may have a few, few things. See, unfortunately, in the move from selling the house and my going off the air corps, a lot of the stuff just got thrown out. Got thrown out. 
And I left. threw out myself thousands of commercial negatives, which today may have been quite interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I see, you know, what's happened in terms of the redefinition of photography that constantly goes on, some of those things are rather exciting. My curiosity, though. And incidentally, I got my job at, uh, with Stryker on the basis of my uh, rather candid four by five photographs of weddings in Gross Point. Hmm? Weddings in Gross Point. <laughs> right. Stryker was very taken because nobody was photographing rich people, you see, mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. kind of perceptive way. The reason I asked if any of these would be available, I think it would be interesting to see sure. you know, what you were doing then. Oh, it would be fascinating to me, because I, uh, I don't think there are any. Hmm. And that's the pro you know, problem with this whole project. There are, see, Aaron, somebody like Aaron or Harry knows every negative they ever made, you know, in every show or printing. It was never that way with me. Uh, one of my characteristics is, is I get bored easily. I'm quick, I'm not bragging, I just do. I mean, that's the way it is. I get bored, I don't suffer, you know, suffer, I suffer fools badly. Uh, but I do my homework, you know, and I keep, I've always kept up with what's going on in many, many areas. I mean, I've always read it you know, two or three newspapers every day, practically. So that was an education. Uh, it's also a detriment. Harry has every negative that he ever shot. He knows where it is, and, you know. Uh, Aaron knows every show that he's ever been in. Well, I had shows in the 30s. I have the slightest idea of what, where they were. Uh, I tried to check out a show at the Toledo Museum. Well, their records are in terrible shape. Uh, I. You know, it was many shows in the middle 30s and the Detroit Art Institute, uh, international shows. Well, there's no record of those. There may be. Some of those had catalogs printed, actually. Yeah, and they may, just recently, in the last few years, may have gotten them better organized. Right, because this whole interest, for instance, you know, the American Archives started in Detroit. Right. Because some Got nutty guy thought it was a good idea. He couldn't find any information, you know, or places where painters, sculptors, Americans, you know, could give their uh, letters or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Now that's a big project. And I think Bill Wolfenden, is he still around? Um, he went to school with me. You see a, a guy involved with the Archives of American Art? Yeah. Could be. I, I don't that. Well, I don't really know those. Yeah. Things. Any case, a lot of things have changed. What we should have kept, we didn't, but <laughs> that's the way it goes. Well, you can only carry so much baggage. That's with right. A house can contain so much. It's... Well, as it is, you know, I've always been berated for saving things, and uh, we'll have to go through the house laying the scene because it's part of my character. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to do that. Uh, you know, I felt with Thoreau that the house is the shell of the inhabitants thereof. That's where Wright Morris got the title for his book, you know, The Inhabitants. Mm -hmm. And again, incidentally, I was very much aware of Wright Morris from his first book. Suddenly he's being discovered long after he's out of date. It's just getting typical. There's a big exploitation going on of a lot of stuff that uh, should have been discovered a long time ago. Yeah, the market is a whole different phenomenon than yeah. what's the... 
Well, um, I guess what we are kind of dealing with in a sense is talking about high school. Where did you go to high school in Detroit? Is it still? Yeah, it's still there. <coughs> uh, so my father I, went to Cooley. Yeah, well that was a football rival. <laughs> Not as much as Northwestern, but uh, I used to go with girls from Cooley. And incidentally, mainly went with uh, this uh, Gentile girls. There seems to be a pattern to that. Well, uh, probably. <laughs> did your family mind that, or did they try and put gentle pressures on you? Yeah, they, they, they were not uh, totally enthused, <laughs> like any ethnic group. Uh, I went to Central High School in Detroit, and. Uh, was not uh, too uh, outspoken. I belonged to uh, what clubs did I belong to? Can't remember particularly if I belonged to any clubs. Were there particular extracurricular activity groups that you? Well, I photographed for. I started photographing for the the uh, yearbook. Now, by this time, you had gotten and there. The I also had a uh, weekly newspaper. There was a man named Fishbein there. who was a journalism teacher. who was very excellent, and the paper was nationally known. I mean, every year it won a prize. So I began to have a slight orientation even towards that of news, what a news photograph was. Now, did you have your own camera at this point? Had you acquired something? I had a folding camera, and then later I got a very cheap $14 4x5 view camera, which I took a lot of action pictures with, and a cheap tripod. And, uh, but that was about that. And occasionally, I don't know, I'm trying to think. I use Jules' camera, maybe, at some point. There's no such thing as a light meter at that point. Yes, What's that? just a foot. An the, extinction meter oh. that you put to your eye and turn it until you match the, the field against the step and uh, translate it. But I remember the, I was, was using plates then. Uh, there were, I recall, I mainly used hammer plates. One was the hammer blue plate, which I believe was the slower one, probably had an ASA about 10. And the hammer red plate, which maybe had an ASA of 25 or something. So this must, this is in the period between 1927 and 1930. Mm -hmm. What year is it that you, what class are you from high school? Is it 30? 30. 30? Yeah. I graduated high school when I was 16 years old. Yeah, I was going to, 31 is what I had calculated on the no. basis of. What no, I, guess, but you I were graduated old. when I was. Uh, you got ahead of grade. Sixteen. Somehow. Well, I'd gone to summer school once and skipped a grade. Hmm. In a, in high school? You don't know. No, not in high school. Much earlier. Grade school. Yeah, grade school. Because hmm. all my friends were going off to camp, and I never went to camp except even the Boy Scouts camp, Camp Brady. Uh, this is funny because it's sort of a little bit like. As, as you're talking, I'm, I'm partly hearing my father, you know, because he skipped the first grade. And I'm hearing, um, when you said camp, I'm thinking of Camp Nisikone, which was a YMCA camp that he right. went to many summers. Absolutely, same thing. And uh, pretty much in the a same A lot of our friends, his friends, I'm sure, and my friends went to private camps. Hmm. Some maybe even in the East. And a lot of 
people of my generation went to oh, summer places, like my friend Jules went to, uh, well, a resort town on Lake Michigan over on the other side here. Wellington or something like that? Well, around Wellington, I can't remember. There was one town that was... Charlevoix or Petoskey or no, Petoskey's the that's high class. You see, that's the richer people. They um, went up, that's up north. Mm -hmm. And that's where they go now. But, uh, oh God, I Up can't. by Traverse City, that far? Lower, up? no, no, lower. Around Wellington, yeah. Uh, they, a lot of uh, these places just were loaded with these foreign associations that we're talking about. And they were surrounded by kosher restaurants and hmm. kosher, kosher butcher shop. Well, our generation rejected that. You didn't want to go to that kind of a no. place? Well, hmm. we did as kids. I didn't, but Jules' family oh, did. Oh, I see. Yeah. And uh, then he never would go back there. And those, those places are, are all different now. Oh, wonderful places, incidentally. Oh God, I have a block there, I can't. The name of the town you're in? Yeah. So, well, can I come back? Yeah, Michigan and like. Yeah. Skimble. Well, you'd ask anybody to try yeah. if they would know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, where were we at? The, um, we were with high school. journalism. You're, high school. Oh, yeah, high school journalism, doing work like that. Um, beginning to play chess, for instance. Uh, doing a lot of reading, beginning to you know, go out with girls about that time. Always did go out with girls, like girls. Um, well, then... Here's a, here's a kind of a, a general thing. I'm, I'm just thinking that this is, this is right at the end of the 20s as you're kind of right. growing up, becoming aware, and of course there's all this, I think, of uh, uh, Prohibition and the Purple Gang and Canada and smuggling and you know, the, quote, Roaring Twenties, unquote, mm -hmm. and this is right at the pivotal end of that period. And I'm wondering, did you have any perception that, was that a, was it, I mean, people talk about that now, was that, yeah. did you sense that? Sure. And, and what kinds of things were you... Well, with? the reason, again, the sense the, the Purple Gangs, because it's the only gang of Jewish gangsters. Mm -hmm. And there was a, quite an interest in it in the whole Detroit area. And uh, they... You know, their exploits were quite interesting. Do you remember what? You see, the gangster is a hero in America, really was a hero. Capone was not thought of as a thug, particularly, in Chicago. He was thought of as, you know, by great numbers of people as a hero, particularly among the Italians. And he was good to his mother and his father and to the church. You know, they all gave money to the church. Mm -hmm. And it was not un, it was not rare at all to see priests and gangsters going out. You know, and the priests like to drink. Right. And yeah. uh, it's a you know a whole story. But anyway, in Detroit in the in the twenties, late twenties, uh, we had it fairly hard economically because I remember my last year of school, I did not get to my graduation. A lot of graduation things because I didn't have any money to go to them, mm -hmm. and I worked for an advertising agency after school, throwing cuts back into the pan, pans. The rock it was a Detroit ad service, which some descendants still exists there. And when you say throwing, I'm not familiar with the term. When you say cuts throwing. are those little things that are in ads of the drawings or photographs, mm -hmm. and they ran a mat service for 
uh, like Shaw Jewelry, only all over the United States, you'd subscribe and you would get a mat, that, uh, a set of mats that we would send out. They put their own copy locally? They'd put in their own logo, that's about all, mm -hmm. not their own copy. And uh, that way the whole many companies, mainly retail jewelry companies, uh, some furniture companies, throughout the whole country would receive this mat service. And the men that designed the ads would take the mats and get them the cuts, you know, make proofs to make the ad, and then they had to be put back. And the mats were made from the cuts, you see, which were arranged, and then a mat is made, and then they sent that off, mm -hmm. and then they cast it there, you wow. see, the mat. Right. Just like in a newspaper, they used to just take, and if they had three presses or four presses, or in the print shop, they had long runs, they'd make a mat so that each one of the presses was printing the same thing. Mm -hmm. But they did it from using original type and original cuts, and they made a mat cast that and then put that onto the press. This man was a sort of fibrous material? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. That you didn't burn when you put hot type metal on it. And you worked there after school? I worked there after school and finally, I remember I was able to buy a, a blue blazer and a pair of white flannel trousers for graduation. How long did you work there? About two years after school. Now, of course, if you graduate in '30, it's, it's the previous uh, fall is the is the stock market crash. That's right, October 29th. Today. Today. Congratulations. <laughs> the market's very down, incidentally. In honor. Yeah. Well. Um, well, many people think we're in a sort of mini worldwide recession. Uh, yeah, well, I maybe mean, I hope they're wrong, but God. Um, but anyway, I was 17, just 17, when I went to Michigan then. That was in the fall of 1930. And the tuition then was 90 bucks for the semester. And I barely was able to get that together. And I worked oh, a lot of jobs. In an hour? Yeah, in an hour, including firing the furnace at Sigma Chi. Where did you live? I lived at 1101 <laughs> Sam Street, University Avenue, I think. Um, South University? South University, yeah. yeah. And uh, the can at that point Michigan had 8,000 students and today I guess they have 39,000. Yeah, or more depending on where you start counting. Anyway, I uh, lived in the house there with a couple of my friends. You know, we rented and uh, didn't have much money so we scrounged around my friend Larry Rubin who's head of the Mackinac Commission uh, was my roommate. He'd come from Boston, he and his family. And then in the next room over were two friends. Uh, one man we called Jake Rikus. See, again, this illustrates the change. Rikus? Rikus, R-Y-C-U-S. Very brilliant guy. If I read a little bit, he read enormously. Mm. And uh, he later went to uh, Israel. After graduating Michigan as a historian, he then went somewhere else and learned all about agriculture and then went to Israel. Married a 
lady writer and worked with secretary of the Weizmann Institute. And his cousin, who he was rooming with, Moish Felick, F-A-L-I-C-K, uh, it was tragic. He was 17, we were all about 17. Um, by January he began to get sick and it was discovered he had cancer. And then he died in June of that year. Mm -hmm. And I remember being very horrified by, you know, the smell when I go visit him. I don't remember what kind of cancer he had, but he it was all, that was our first death of our, of our group, as yeah. it were. Like sort of growing up. Yeah. Let me, let me take a break here before we get further into yeah. Michigan and get myself another ice cube. And, uh, yeah, we'll take two. Yeah, right. And this That's is about, make about tea. Arthur, tea? This is a wonderful recorder uh, when it works, <laughs> like most of them. Right. Um, okay, get your ass out of here, Diana. <laughs> okay. okay. Here we go again. What were we talking about? You were in, in Ann Arbor, and you were just telling us about your first experience with one of yeah, your we classmates. Yeah, we graduated from Central High School. Oh yeah, so I went to Ann Arbor. Theoretically, I was a pre-med student. That was a oh, that was me. An ambition then. And that, that undoubtedly was approved of by your family in great measure? We didn't discuss it very much. No? No. The, in fact, just going to college was kind of a victory. See, the whole thing has changed. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, whether there was an assumption in your family or whether it was a point of discussion that you would go to college or not. It was just a tough fight to go to college. But was you mean financially? Or? Yeah, but no. See, everybody goes to college. It's like high school. Right. In those days, out of my class, I would say, Maybe one-tenth of the people went to college. And there was no discussion in my, our family or anything like Ezra's in the East now looking at Cooper Union and Columbia and Vassar and University of Pennsylvania. He is spending more money just looking at it than I spent, you know... For your tuition. For tuition. Anyway... Uh, but I mean, it, in, in your family, it was a sort of assumed that if you, there was a way that it could be possible that you would go to college, and was that... Well, no, the assumption is if I could make it, that I would have to practically do it myself. Mm. See, I just went there with the 90 bucks, and then I sort of scrounged working Greek restaurants and firing the furnace in the morning at 4.30 so the boys would be warm when we got up. And uh, my friend Larry Rubin, who worked in a restaurant, would bring home sandwiches to me and uh, Jake. And, um, just getting textbooks was a major economic Burden. Mm -hmm. We shared textbooks. Sure. See, by this time of the Depression, uh, it's eating the door. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I went there and uh, there was a marvelous lady, and I can't remember her name now. She was very fat and short, maybe like five foot two and maybe four foot wide. We used to make lantern slides for the medical department. Now this isn't this uh, Jane Welling. No, no, no. This no, that's no, someone no. at Wayne. Some, well, yeah, that's at Wayne. That's later. Yeah, okay. This is some woman that made lantern slides and did medical photography for the medical school at, at Ann Arbor. And she was in the basement and had the corner, I guess one would say it was the uh, south 
I don't remember, east or west, must have been west corner of the medical building. And instead of going through the building, she would flip herself through this window, which she opened up and closed. And she made marvelous lantern slides, and I learned to make lantern slides from her, and learned uh, quite a bit about controlling contrasts and uh, you know just handling manipulation. Now, would this have been the first time you really this worked was, with somebody else who was doing yes, the photographic yes, type of a process? Yes, and she was making these lantern slides, and they were beautiful. Can't remember her name. And I would go through this window too, and frequently spent yeah, whole afternoons there. And what you must remember is that the lantern slides were the the prime teaching tool at that point in education. These are about three by four. Three and three. Three and quarter. Three and quarter by four. And let me just to for the sake of tracing her name down, which probably I can do in Ann Arbor. She was. She was what, kind of a. Was she an employee? Yeah. She was. was she a she teaching? Had been, she had been a biology teacher, if I remember correctly. At Ann Arbor. At Ann Arbor, and then she. Uh, she was a sort of adjunct faculty then? This yeah, class. to uh, medical. They gave her the space and it was all kind of dirty and messy, but she made Leonard slides there. Margaret Burke White, you see, had gone to Michigan. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had some contact with this lady when she was there. She was, I think Burke White was in biology or... Mm -hmm. biology. biology. Zoology. and Zoology, yeah. And... Uh, she, I think she learned something from this lady. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to find her name. I'm sure I can find it. Uh, faculty records. It's tricky, but some physicians of that period, my teaching physicians of that period, professors might know her, because she made the lantern slide. She was an interesting person. Hmm. Um, I was so tired. I had gotten all A's, I think, last year in high school. And as I told you, I was interested in chemistry and all kinds of things. I was so tired that I took an eight o'clock chemistry class. So, and in order to stay awake, I would sit in the front row. And I was so tired I'd fall asleep while the guy was lecturing. Invariably, I was just exhausted from all the jobs you were doing. Everything, yeah. And I failed chemistry, which, and I also failed uh, I can't remember. I may. I think I got a D in German or something like this that. This is your first term? Uh-huh. What other courses did you take? Uh, I took a wonderful English course. See, everything was cut and dried in those days. You took what they said you took. So I took chemistry. You had to have a certain amount of science. And, you know. I took chemistry and uh, I took uh, English, mm -hmm. where you had to write an essay every week. Like rhetoric type of English? Well, composition. composition. Freshman composition. Freshman composition. Yeah. And um, a foreign language, I believe. I think I took German. What else was there? It might have been uh, like a history or a... Philosophy? Something like some other humanities type of Yeah, it was. Some other humanities, I can't remember. Great books or something? No. I would think more like a philosophy or... Economics. I may have made the dumb mistake of taking two uh, science sciences. I think I did. Or a math course? No, mm -hmm. no. I think it was a uh, biology course because I remember the professor offered the, me the opportunity of getting a scholarship if I would go into herpetology to study snakes. Mm -hmm. That was what Blanchard, Blanchard had been. Blanchard was the professor's name. Blanchard. I 
think so. They were trying to get people to get into herpetology. Well, he, no, he liked me and uh, liked my work. And I played around with snakes and didn't seem to be scared of them then. Qualifier <laughs> well, well, now. So that was that, and then I would, if I'd go back in Detroit on occasion, I'd hitchhike naturally both ways. There was no money, and then very rarely went out with girls because no money. Didn't go to football games. Sold my tickets, so I'd get some money. Hmm. Uh, went to football games. Benny Friedman was there, I think, the hero that year, or Tom Harmon. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it. Or Jerry Ford. <laughs> I remember him. And uh, it was, that was very nice, but I didn't have any money, didn't belong to a fraternity. There were, you know, and that was quite an important part of life, college life in those days. Much yeah. more, at least, maybe it's like that in the East or something still, but I'm not too aware, and probably in Northwestern of sororities and fraternity systems. Still strong. strong. Well, yeah, they're but yeah. it was used to be strong in Michigan, and then you see during the war years that all collapsed, and now it's been, been revived. In any case, I did not belong that way, and uh, so I did a lot of photography too, and uh, uh, sort of worked with my friends. You know, uh, it was not the happiest part of my life. Not the golden college days that you read about. No, God, it was rough as hell. And, uh, you weren't using photography to make any money at that point. No, I don't think so. No, I did not. That began. <coughs> uh, the year ended. It was not a very pleasant year, but I wanted to go back. I could not go back. That was. You did a whole school year. Yeah. You flunked these courses the first term, and you. You took some more. Of the I could term. have gone back, gone back, but it was my because I've been working so damn hard. I didn't have time to study, and uh, for me to flunk a chemistry course was really, a, you know, yeah, kind of a joke. joke I think from, and a tragedy because it ruined my you know, feelings about myself. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I was real frustrated because I could learn stuff. I just couldn't stay awake most of the time. At the time, did you did you realize that you were so overextended sure. as a person? Sure. There wasn't any choice. It was a really survival thing. Right. And I also, that year, you said the first year you had to take physical education, so that took up a lot of time. You know, going to the gym, getting dressed, or oh, yeah. <laughs> You had to take it. See, so it was jammed up all the time. You just had to study, and I just didn't have the time. So I went back to Detroit and could not raise 90 bucks from my entire family. Over the summer? Yeah, over the summer. Either, you know, direct, near relatives, far relatives, or anybody. So, and this was a condition not only of myself, but most of my friends. Now this is, let me just... This is this. the fall of 1931. Yeah, so it's just more or less the depths of the depression. The depths of 32 the is the real rock bottom, but it was right. all pretty bad. That's right, and particularly in Detroit. It was very few people had a job, and uh, it was a black mood. Were scholarships very scarce in those days at Michigan? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just practically none. No, no. And when they were, they really were scholarships. I mean, there weren't loans and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. I mean, you had to be bright. Either or, kind yeah. of. 
So, my friend Jules didn't go back to school, Maxwell didn't go back to school. I don't remember anybody going back to school. You had a group of people that all went the first year and then... Yeah. That's all you could afford, really, more right. or less. So then, and our family, Jules' family, he was quite rich. His father was one of the, maybe built 60, 80 million dollars worth of buildings in Detroit, apartment buildings in 1927, 28, 29. In 1932, they were living in an apartment that he had built that the, the uh, thing was foreclosed. So he was allowed to live in one of the empty apartments. Or they had a couple apartments that were sold. There weren't people who could afford to use the low rents. Mm -hmm. So we used to sit around, we played poker for, uh, we used matches, 10 matches for a penny. Uh, we played chess a great deal. Uh, if we went any places, because Jules had a family had a big pregnant Buick, this a big wide thing, so we'd all chip in for gas and go to Cass Lake for a, mm -hmm. a day of swimming. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all had girlfriends. But nobody ever went out. They would go to each other's houses, boys and girls. And uh, I did photography then, began to you know, work at it a little bit. But it, that was very expensive. I was just going to say, how did you so make some money to too keep much. that? Well, then I began to actually photograph babies and uh, sell one or two pictures. Not much. Now this this is you're out of school this summer, yeah. and then you don't you don't go back to school that fall, and you start to do these. I don't go things. back to school until well. Tell uh, let me go ahead. Yeah. Okay. The uh, well, it was not all unpleasant. The depression read an enormous amount. We all read an enormous amount. Taking books from the library, we never bought a book. I don't remember anybody buying a book. It's all new. Um, and, uh, you know, our families were quite ingenious about food and, you know, not wasting money. But there wasn't any money. You found a story in the grocery store? Yeah, and uh, at one point he went, uh, he had been doing fairly well. At some point along the line, I can't remember, uh, he went bankrupt, literally bankrupt. Uh, and, uh, then the first job my friend Jules got was in 1933 working for a parking lot as a car jockey. These were all jobs you got through pull. And I remember Jules got $7.50 a week, you know, plus tips. And they used to what, do what's called walking the customer. You'd talk to the customer while you're giving them change and try and intrigue them so much that he'd forget to take his change. And everybody, you know, they kind of did that. Mm -hmm. Uh, my first job was in, I believe, in 33, uh, Jules Letter's family. Jules Letter was the husband of Ann Landers, who's divorced Ann Landers. Hmm. His family in Detroit had a dress factory, letter manufacturing company, that made dresses that sold at Woolworths and five and ten cent stores across the country. This is Leonard? Letter. L-E-D-E-R-E-R. -E -E oh, I've seen that name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a job there because a cousin of mine was superintendent of the factory. Mm. And I got this job laying cloth at twelve fifty a week, of which about 50 cents came out for insurance, $2 I took for uh, transportation and buying milk, 
and five dollars I gave to my mother and five dollars I saved. And uh, got to work there, I believe it was 7.30 till 4.30, something like that. Real sweatshop. Because these dresses, you know, they sold for a complete dress. When you look at the New York Times, see something, you know, for seven or nine. 34, I believe, I went back to uh, Wayne. So let, let me just see if I have the chronology straight then. You, the, um, in the summer of 31, is the summer after your first year of school, and then you essentially were doing odd jobs and basically unemployed until... Not basically, unemployed. Until I wasn't 33, right? Until sometime all throughout 1932. And uh, sometime in 1933, what, beginning in 1933, yeah. somewhere, you get this job laying cloth. Uh -huh. and that laying and cutting cloth, 300, 350 high. Do you know what I'm talking about? We take a power cutter. You've got a, a big thickness of it. Put the pattern over it. So you're cutting a big cutting. bunch of them all at once. Right. And this is, uh, goes until, until you go back 34. to school. 34. Which Can is you in the fall of 34. I think so. Yeah. When you went to Wayne, we could actually yeah. we could get the transcripts. Yeah, well, we could do that. Get the transcripts. Then what did you major in? Is that when you got interested in sociology? Yeah, yeah. but that developed gradually. Well, you see, I took. The first question is: you were, is it simply had you just saved enough money to go back? Is that why you were able to afford at that point? I mean, that you yeah. this was your own money yeah. at this point. And things I think got just a little bit better at home. But I was determined. I wanted to go back to school. Jules went back to school about the same time, I think, to law school. He never finished. He never graduated. A lot of my friends didn't graduate. See, you, you have to remember, it was not the same kind of a thing. People did not necessarily go to college. Yeah. To go to college had a great deal more meaning than it has today. Sure. The equivalent, yeah. I, never, no I never knew anybody who went to graduate school. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I was a senior in high school, my counselor said to me that by the time you finish, as far as you finish high college, it's going to be as common for people to start going to graduate school as you know, just people going to college has become. Mm -hmm. And you know, right. she well, that's all going to change again, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Back the other way. Graduate schools are going to become increasingly less tolerant, tougher, make the stay longer and fewer people are going to graduate degrees, because there are no jobs. Mm -hmm. It has to, I mean, something has to. Well, nothing has to, Elaine. It just will, because the people that run education are going to make it tougher because they feel guilty, really. So what they'll do is get, try and make a better product and eliminate those that are a little more marginal. Also, they are making their own jobs. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go to school for an MFA for three years instead of one year, that's a lot more teaching hours that somebody has to teach. And some of these trends I'm not enthused about, you know, in photography. Speaking of college and the idea of going to college, I had a question that I 
meant to ask earlier. In high school, was there, I would expect... Oh, I belonged to the camera club in high school. Oh, you did belong to Yes, I had a chemistry teacher. His name was Mr. Phillips. Hmm. And a chemistry and physics teacher. And I did belong to that. Was this run like a typical camera club type yeah, of sure. situation? Yeah, sure. He didn't know anything about it, and we did so <laughs> very well. <laughs> the thing I wanted to ask about was the curriculum. Is that, Was there a particular curriculum that was a college curriculum as opposed to and a... Wayne? No, 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 in high school. High school, oh yes. College the vocationals, track. the track, and uh, then there was the college track. And maybe a business track or something like that was fairly no. common. There was another thing, I don't remember what it was, but I was, I mean, we took language. Everybody took mm -hmm. two years of language. Everybody took physics and chemistry, uh, history, uh, four years of English. Um, no, very definitely. Then when you got to college, it was very definite what you took. You had to take so many hours from this area and so many hours from that area and so many hours from... Mm -hmm. Third area, and or you didn't graduate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was not a smorgasbord. It was a curriculum. That's a nice distinction. Mm -hmm. Well, so you're knocking on the door at Wayne. Yeah. So there, I take again fairly general courses at first, but I uh, gradually get into psychology and sociology. And I go, I mean, finally my last year I have all A's and it's in sociology and the professor, Jandy, who's the head of the thing, uh, is my friend. He was the last class of Charles Horton Cooley at Michigan. He wrote his doctorate on Cooley. And uh, he likes me. And uh, in the last year, actually, summer, uh, Maxwell Fader and I go with Jandy uh, uh, a trip to California one way. And uh, then we hitchhike back and have crazy adventures with drunken cowboys smashing up the car and we're riding in and stealing our baggage in Las Vegas so we can get the hell out of town and that kind of thing. But that was later. Uh, during school, I then began to really do photography. Okay, now why Wayne? Why not back to Michigan? No money. Economic system. Wayne was cheaper? There, I'm living at home. You're, you're living at home, that yeah, was the real difference. Sure. Was tuition comparable? Might have been a little cheaper. Mm, a little cheaper, but I don't think that was critical. I think the critical was um, living at home. Living at home, yeah. And room and board. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so, at the, the period at Wayne, I get very smart about sociology. My friend Jandy, I've forgotten what Jandy was, some kind of Armenian, I think. Edward Jandy. And uh, I gradually get taken up by a group of teachers, professors, who discover I have this ability, craft ability or artistic ability. Anyway, they can use it. So I, one thing, I get a job very rapidly at the Board of Education had an audiovisual department. At that time, they had millions of slides, the things I was talking about earlier. Mansion slides. Yeah, which mm -hmm. they distribute around to the schools all the time in motion pictures. And so I get a job there, and 
What is this? What is the year? This is either probably 35, I think. While you're in school. Yeah, while I'm in school. I always have to work. No way out. Uh, and so I'm doing a lot of things. Um, so I get this job and uh, do a lot of things. And I already know more photography than the people that are there. They're political <laughs> hacks. They don't know from nothing. And I finally then do some of these women professors in particular who were interested in doing a visual, a really good modern kind of photographic illustrated course of study for physical education, which I showed you. Mm -hmm. I began doing that. Mm -hmm. This is this book that comes out in 36? Yeah, mm -hmm. it comes out in 36. Or 37, a modern physical education yeah. for boys and girls. Right. It first comes out as sort of a soft thing, and then it's later picked up by Barnes and publishes a hardback in 41, I think it is. In the meantime, I also do something, which I have no copy, of the first illustrated report of a superintendent of schools in America. And then the next year in New York, which prided itself on being first and everything, they came out with an illustrated report. This would be like a report for the somewhere end of the year, year 35? 35, 36, somewhere in there. The man was superintendent. Coach. This is the Detroit Public School System Public report. System. Right. Hmm. I have to look for that. And uh, Jane Welling, you see, is a good friend of Superintendent Cody. She is head of oh, art education in Detroit. She's also head of art education in Wayne. Wayne is part of the public school system at that point. Oh, it's only later that it splits off. And her friend is Collins, you know, head of physical education in the Detroit public school system, and another woman named Murray, marvelous people, who are all of them clued into the whole New York art scene. Strange. Good friends with Martha Graham, Humphrey Weidman, mm -hmm. Jose Limon. Uh, who was that last name? Jose Limon. J-O-S-E-L-I-M-O-N, mm -hmm. yeah. -E right, right. was part of that whole dance thing. Mar Mary, Margaret, Mary, oh Jesus. Mary Jo Shelley, another dancer, mm -hmm. head of group. Actually, partly through physical education, really, they were, yeah, they were frustrated dancers. Yes, you see. Really? Up in Madison, Wisconsin, there was a whole modern dance group that was part of the physical education, who were also connected to these people. It was a vast... Because, you know, today you say physical education. And, I, you know, I think of people who are, who are uh, you know, the football team, and that's the, what they major in, traditionally. And, uh, you know, it's a... It's a funny thing, but dance has got the same problem as photography in a sense of not fitting too well in any real curricular area. It ends yeah. up in physical education or art departments or God well, knows where. It's yeah. still in, in physical education most places. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, Wisconsin had a very good dance group at that point. And it was all very subversive, kind of, you know, small groups. Uh, and so I work in the visual education department. I take pictures with their camera, they insist, you know, which is usually an eight by 10 or four by five, trying to take candid pictures. And by that time, I uh, am fairly adept, so I do it. Uh, the man that was head of this was a rather dumb man by the name of Whittingham, who was a political appointee. I don't know what his clout was, but he wasn't very bright. There was 
some conflict between him and me, but because I was so young, it really, whatever he said went, that's all. <clears throat> and I worked with a guy named Mudge. Mudge? Mudge, yeah. Like Fudge, only Mudge? Yeah, I think that was his name. He had some kind of endocrine difficulty. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, I, I did some good work in spite of the you know, difficulties. Now, what kind of work are you doing? You, I mean, you illustrate this Everything. report. Everything. I'm taking pictures of the report, photographing people, photographing we, physical education activities. Were you photographing charts and graphs as well to make slides? No. Or you didn't do that kind well, of thing? Well, did some of that, but that was not particularly what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, made a lot of lantern slides, printed lantern slides, new lantern slides. Um, I'm also, by this time, if I remember correctly, probably a member of the Detroit Camera Club, the youngest member. This is around 30. Must be about 35, 36. Can I show a little light on the Detroit Camera Club? Were you, did you have to be voted in? Oh, yes. I'm wondering if that might actually might not be a good place for us to stop, um, you know, before we get into that, because I, I talked to those people. We can, I'd did like you? to talk to that. I talked to Ed Worst. And I talked to uh, Isadora Berger. I talked to her on the phone, yeah. and she sent me some material. Cause she studied with me. So I know I've got oh, I've got a list of names of people. And I don't remember who was in it or what I taught. Well, I have a lot of stuff that I can refresh your memory with, but maybe we ought to uh, start fresh on all that. Um, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Eddie Worst is still alive. The Looks older one, probably. Walter older Walter is, is gone, and Ed is, runs the camera shop. And and I must tell you, I was amazed because I thought when I met him, I thought he was about. Fifty, oh, no. you know, and uh, it wasn't. And I, at the end of this, I did a short interview with him and Isidore Berger, mm -hmm. and I asked him just to tell me their ages. And you know, I was shocked. Well, Isidore, I haven't seen him, you know, maybe thirty years, and or I saw Ed worse, maybe fifteen years ago. Mm -hmm. um, well, I had some fairly vivid memories of you know that that point in time. Well, that's good. See, did the name Mark Christensen, which I just thought of, come up? No, yeah, you, you had mentioned that on the phone to me. And Mark Christensen was the third person who was supposed to be at this meeting in Detroit, who I had talked to Is on the telephone. Still alive? Yes, but he couldn't make it that day. And I'm going to go, I think, over Christmas. Like I say, my parents live in Detroit. And uh, I think I'm going to go to Detroit and go out and see Margaret Worst and Mark Christensen together. Well, they're nice people. You'll enjoy them. Yeah, they were very helpful. Mark Christensen, the reason. Particularly Mark. Mark actually worked for me. Yeah, this I is what I had knew. two employees in my whole life. One was, was uh, Joe uh, Joe Monroe. Monroe, and the other was Mark Christensen. Yeah. Okay, well let's uh, yeah. let's uh, start in uh, maybe fresh then. Uh, yeah, because okay. my voice is. Uh, yeah, I think also you need to rest too after having well, a bad night. Uh, what time would be a good time for you tomorrow? Well, I think we're just going to have to bullet. Uh, I'm supposed to go. Bradley and give some lectures on